0: I'd like to begin this talk with a quote by the late Tibetan Lama Kalarimpoche. When you practice the holy Dharma, slowly the clouds of sorrow will drift away, and the sun of wisdom and great joy will be shining in the clear sky of your mind. Tonight, I'd like to talk about suffering and about the end of suffering. And if during the first half of the talk you feel like leaving, stay. There's a second half, right? Okay? After the Buddha's enlightenment, in his first teaching, he laid down very clearly what the essence of his understanding was, what the basis of his teaching was, and what the direction and aim of one's practice, as he saw it, should be. He spoke of what he called the Four Noble Truths in his language. Perhaps we could call it four fundamental facts of life it's the fact of suffering in life the fact that there is suffering the fact of its causes lying within our minds the fact that an end of suffering is possible and it's about what needs to be done or, rather, to be understood perhaps, just so to actualize the end of suffering. Sounds very simple and quite straightforward, doesn't it? It also seems to be talking a lot about suffering, the word appears in every of those four points. In this, perhaps, we find the reason for why Buddhism has been misinterpreted as being pessimistic or negative so often. It talks, first of all, about suffering. It makes a point of the necessity to look at it, to confront it within ourselves and everywhere where it appears. And yet, all this is is a practical, hands on approach to the question of suffering and of freedom from suffering, of happiness. Now, I'll try to give an illustration or example of these four basic facts. Suppose you're on a long walk or hike, and at some point your foot starts to hurt. Perhaps you keep on walking and walking and it hurts more and more. At some point you need to stop. You need to recognize that it's painful. You need to acknowledge what's going on. Say, okay, And suffering. That's the first noble truth. Recognizing the fact of suffering. Then you look, and you find, oh, there's a thorn or a splinter that's stuck in your foot. You see and understand the cause of that suffering. That's the second noble truth, the cause. Now, you'll do the necessary to get that thorn out of your flesh. You remove it. Maybe you get tweezers, you grab the thorn, you pull it out, you do whatever is necessary. That's the work, the practice, the path to the end of that pain, the fourth noble truth. And once the thorn is gone, there is great relief, great appreciation that the suffering, the pain has come to an end. That, with respect to that problem, there is peace. That's the third noble truth the end of suffering, release, peace. Not looking at the foot not looking at the pain, at the suffering in the first place, we would never get to the end of it, to the release. So it's actually very practical and very positive and very important. to look there to really see that problem its about nothing less than looking at suffering and the possibility of the end of suffering and not only the end of suffering somewhere out there in the future it's also about the end of suffering right here and now at least in terms of inner terms of emotional suffering the ability to live happily and in peace not only when things are pleasant but also when things are unpleasant as well so the situation is as Thich Nhat Hanh puts it Practicing Buddhism is a clever way to enjoy life. Happiness is available. Please help yourself to it. But what needs to be clear to us is unless we are willing to face ourselves, our difficulties and our suffering, we'll never find a way out. In a way, that's the price we need to pay. So there's nothing really mysterious about meditation and Dharma practice. In a a way, it's very pragmatic, practical. We have to begin doing it. I don't like the word doing it, but we have to begin with it. We have to start looking practicing to give ourselves a chance and giving ourselves a chance maybe that's the main message I'd like to pass on here today and of course obviously having come here we all have decided to do that but in some way we have to do it over and over again it's a story Every Sunday, this man, David, goes to the temple and prays, Oh Lord, please let me win the lottery once in my life. Years go by, John is getting old, getting close to dying. The last time they carry him into the church, he prays and whispers, Oh Lord, Let me win the lottery at least once in my life." A thunderbolt splits up the temple and the mighty voice from above is heard. Please, give me a chance, buy a lottery ticket at least once in your life. (laughs) (laughs) So, I think in In many ways, you know, this being here is our good lottery ticket. But more immediately, really, just sitting here, isn't it? Each time we're really interested, each time we're really present, each time we're really looking, at the opportunity. That's when we give ourselves a chance. We need to look at suffering first, and we'll look at it for a minute. You know, Buddhists like lists. So on that list, suffering is seen to manifest itself in three ways. First is actual suffering. Then there is suffering of change and then third, the suffering of pervasiveness the first one is most obvious I could imagine that for many of us perhaps it's what got us into practice coming into this life can be a lot of suffering for many and once we have a body it's (coughs) bound to get sick we get hungry, we get Thirsty, we get too hot, we get too cold, we can get all kinds of diseases, illnesses, aches and pains. In many, many countries in this world, it's up to a third of all human beings who die of some disease or other, or malnutrition, before age five. But even if it just think of the time and the money we spend on our teeth That's a lot of suffering It tends to increase as we get older We start to need glasses, hearing aids Our backs and joints give in Some of us lose our hair Others start to get hair where they wouldn't want to get any Eventually, sooner or later, we'll die. As we live, we're bound to be separate. Separated from those who are dear to us. Separated from the loved ones. We lose (laughs) them or they leave us or for some reason we have to leave them. We'll actually end up losing everybody. Eventually lose even our own body. and often when we do get what we want we're still not happy and that we've noticed another story is a mother standing at the ocean holding her baby suddenly out of the silent ocean this huge wave comes and it grabs the baby out of her arm throws it out back in the ocean and she's really, really struck and she prays, she says, Oh Lord, please give me back my baby and then another big wave comes and with the big wave, the baby comes back and right back in her arms she looks at the baby and she looks up to heaven and says, but it had a pretty little hat on before <laughs> even when we get what we want often it's not quite good enough isn't it we meet with those we dislike those who dislike us even worse we meet with situations and circumstances we don't like we come here to find silence instead of Silence it's like this weird movie theater where they change the movie every two minutes or something. I don't know about your mind, but some mine. We often don't get what we would like. Go to a restaurant or to a promising meal. What comes looks pathetic, disappointing. We look forward to a retreat and then we're there. And get sleepiness and restlessness instead of bliss. We have to spend so much time and effort and work <coughs> to keep what we've got, not to lose what is ours. We need to put locks on our doors, we need alarms in our cars, so as not to have them stolen. Yet, cars like everything else, still break down at some point. <clears throat> there's so many kinds of sufferings and pains. Or perhaps one could say, there's so many opportunities in life that somehow get us into suffering. Don't want to say they make us suffer, but they give themselves to us so we can suffer. And we do. Secondly, there is the suffering of change. It refers to the fact that in this life, no matter how nice or pleasant things are, they will always change into something else again. They won't stay that way. And once we are not willing anymore to be deceived, we see. Pleasure is as impermanent as a flash of lightning. And it's not some kind of moralistic statement to get us away from looking for pleasure or having pleasure. But actually, the more we allow ourselves to really enjoy pleasure consciously, be with it as it happens, the more we also become aware of its actual sleepiness. Just look for a taste, actual taste, when you eat or drink. If you eat next time, just have a look how it comes and how fleeting it is. Just those flashes, and before we have real time to enjoy them, they're gone, so we have to turn things around again so there's another flash. We have to throw it down and be ready with the next forkful, get a new flash very fleeting. It happens, but it doesn't stay for a moment. Whatever arises inevitably will disappear again. Whether it's nice tastes, beautiful sights, pleasant touches, whatever. Or we work hard, somehow get ourselves into a high position, to power, get all the advantages, But there too, we'll lose it again. I once read an interview with Mrs. Thatcher where she said that for months after she had to step down as Prime Minister, each time something important happened in the world, her mind started to immediately make plans and decisions until she remembered, oh, it wasn't her anymore who was running the show. It's painful. get fame, we'll also get blame. When we meet, we'll also have to part. <coughs> or more obvious, when we're cold, perhaps we go and lie in the sun, then as we lie there, it starts getting too hot, we move to the shade, then we get thirsty, so we need to drink, we drink, we need to pee, and we get hungry. Or We sit down in the meditation hall, cross-legged, upright, very comfortable, or centered. Twenty minutes, the knee starts to hurt. Oh no, (coughs) it felt so right. It changed, well, you know, ten minutes, the back starts to hurt. Goes on and on and on, there's always something that creeps up. Each time we get it right, it moves, it changes and that pleasure, or that ease, which has been managed, disappears I don't know if you've ever noticed or gotten a sense of the endlessness of this of the circularity of this process throughout the hours, the days, the weeks, the years, the lifetimes it's called samsara For some of us, this is what gets us into practicing, into questioning, into inquiring. What is this all about? And can there be freedom? And can there be peace in all of this? And now just just a few more words on the last kind of suffering. The suffering of pervasiveness. It really refers to the extreme vulnerability, the uncertainty and and insecurity of this existence. Perhaps it's a bit like a wound that isn't quite open anymore, sort of scab. It doesn't hurt when you don't touch it, but the slightest touch or wrong movement, it hurts again it's the ever-present potential for suffering once we are part of this existence be it physical, emotional, mental within ourselves or around us and now, right now, here I feel a very crucial point you just want to look right now right here into your minds and hearts to see, are we shrinking away inwardly as we hear all this? We're not quite taking it in. We're saying, okay. Is there resistance? Is there aversion? Does it bother us to acknowledge these facts of suffering? Or are we willing to open? Are we willing to hear? Are we willing to look? and feel, If we close, we miss our chance. No lottery ticket. No way to win a lottery. If we open, there's great opportunity. It's great opportunity to be touched. Opportunity to deeply transform our life. This is Pir Vilayat Khan, the Soviet mystic. Overcome any bitterness that may have come because you were not up to the magnitude of pain that was entrusted to you. Like the mother of the world who carries the pain of the world in her heart, each one of us is part of her heart and therefore endowed with a certain measure of cosmic pain. You are sharing in the totality of that pain. You are called upon to meet it in joy instead of self-pity. So we open, we acknowledge the pain, we recognize that there is suffering, and thus we confront, we begin to see what causes the pain. What causes the suffering? We start to see the thorn that causes the pain. And that's really what meditation is all about. That's what we do, or that's where what, where our attention goes when we sit and walk here. That's why it can be very important to work with pain, to work with difficulties, instead of, for example, simply getting up and walking out, walking away. I mean, we could do that, you know. We could sit here, 50 minutes, the legs start to hurt, we get up, we go out to do a little stretching, a little exercising, we come back, back hurts, we get up. Maybe get sleepy, we go make a cup of tea, you know, we come back in, it's just better, not better, maybe a little nap. We don't do that we come in here, we stay here we stay here even if it gets uncomfortable we stay here even if it's difficult we are looking into our minds we are looking to see what is it that causes the trouble if it's unpleasant why do I have to suffer why am I so disturbed why is that the problem at all and we start to see what causes the trouble and we also, perhaps, might begin to discover where there might be peace where we could find serenity or as Thomas Merton puts it he says, I did not become a monk to suffer more than other men I became a monk to suffer more effectively interesting. You know, we're not coming in here to sit 45 minutes knowing that it might get difficult and uncomfortable because we like it to be difficult or uncomfortable. There's a purpose in it. And the purpose is to look and see how we deal with this. How we relate. What is going on in that situation. (coughs) What the cause is for our this ease could be. As we look over and over again, we might discover that the reason we suffer is quite simple, actually, quite obvious. It is that somehow, over and over, we ignore the reality of how r- life really is. We Somehow, there's something we don't get. We don't truly see and understand the fact of impermanence, of constant change, of this event which we call me and life around us. Somehow we miss getting the message that nothing, nothing whatsoever in this life can be grasped, can be held on to or kept and nothing can truly be controlled and because we don't see this I mean we know it intellectually but somehow we don't get it quite we go on grasping and holding and desiring what is pleasant and we go on trying to avoid, control, destroy hate what is unpleasant and that reactivity makes us suffer over and over and over. In a way we could also say that what meditation is practices is, is to see and correct this mistake. So the root problem is this not seeing what is going on this ignorance. From this ignorance, arises a sense of solidity, a sense of solidity within, solidity of self and others, of me here and the rest there, of inside and outside, a sense of separation, a sense of me, mine, and not me, not mine. And out of this arises wanting and grasping what I want, what I need, what I desire, an attachment and holding on to what is me, to mine and there arises aversion and hatred for what I don't want fear and worry about things that might or might not happen in the future that somehow promise to be unpleasant all these reactions, all these mind states or emotions are called klesha or kilesha which we could perhaps translate as delusions or torment they are misunderstandings that we have about ourselves, our nature, like life that create trouble and torment in our hearts and minds and out of this Kilesha we act whenever we act out of this state of mind and heart of delusion and torment suffering arises suffering arises for ourselves that kind of action is called karma in this case unwholesome negative karma is the action of hurting, of harming of killing that's leading to violence and tortures and wars and destruction with great painful results for oneself and for others. It's addiction, exploitation, stealing, which which karmically is creating endless suffering again for oneself. Deception, dishonesty, corruption, lying, its wrong views and ideas about ourselves and life, pride and conceit or depreciation of others, of oneself, all negative or unwholesome karma, unwholesome action leading to endless misery coming out of that, not getting it right not understanding all of it, all that agony and inner suffering just because we don't understand that's the second noble (coughs) truth pleasure and karma or delusions and torments and the actions and tendencies coming from it that's the cause of suffering you're still here huh? now all this would be pretty depressing and gloomy if we were to start here but we don't the Buddha taught two more facts of reality it's that all of this inner suffering can come to an end and that there is a way to get there there is an approach that makes this possible and that's what is truly amazing about the Diamond it says that real peace, serenity and joy is possible for each one of us or again as Thich Nhat Hanh says happiness is available please help yourself to it but unless we deeply see and feel and understand the problem there won't be the energy there won't be the dedication and commitment to do what's necessary so in that sense it's worthwhile to look at the difficulty of the situation Perhaps we could imagine someone being born inside of some kind of high-security prison camp. But someone who has never seen, never ever seen across the walls, being very high walls, never having seen the open fields and (coughs) woods, never even having sensed the vastness of mountains and oceans. Wouldn't it be hard to motivate that person to break out, to escape, and to go through all the difficulties and dangers, all the work and effort that it would take to escape from that prison? Somehow it must be that we've all seen over uh, through the walls, or maybe they're just fences, we know about the open fields and the vastness of mountains and the oceans. The Buddha drew up a perfect escape map for us. It's called the Eightfold Path. It's the, f- the fourth noble truth. And what it does, it looks at the prison carefully, at the walls, the fences and gates, and it shows how to get out of it it looks at suffering and its causes carefully and it points out how to get out of it or how not to create them anymore this is Kate Glenn, has several parts or aspects to it there's a part about understanding there's a part about transformation of our inner attitudes and our actions and there's a part that has to do with the tools we need in order to actualize understanding or transformation. Perhaps we could say this much simpler. We need somehow to deeply change our habits of making ourselves unhappy and do the opposite. That's the simplest way of putting it. And we have to do this now we always have to do this now since we only can do it now the part about understanding means understanding exactly this truth or facts we have been looking at suffering and its causes of kilesa and karma or in other words ignorance and the unwholesome reactions and actions which come from it and it is the understanding of reality as it really is freedom, peace, or as the Buddha called it, the sure heart belief. and it's understanding the path, the method that leads to this transformation and freedom I'll perhaps say more about understanding or what's called right view at the end. But to give our approach or attitude of practice the right kind of flavour, to I say perhaps, I'll make one important point in terms of view. There. Are different views or ways of looking at reality and at practice different perspectives one could say and i'll just mention two very interesting ones one is that we can see ourselves as stuck in suffering full of ignorance full of attachment and aversion having to take the long road having to make tremendous effort to change ourselves to purify ourselves, to become okay, good enough pure enough, wise enough to eventually get enlightened somewhere in the future in a way the model of the prison would be a similar model we're stuck in an unfortunate situation And we have to, we have this plan and we work it out and somehow get out in time. That's quite the correct way of seeing practice. It's a useful way, it's also a way that works. Countless people throughout history have practiced that way and they have freed themselves. Unfortunately, it happens to also be an approach that often feeds very heavily into the sense of worthlessness that we as Westerners somehow seem to have somehow we got that as a birthright perhaps Mm -hmm. the sense of worthlessness perhaps of basic sinfulness and with it our need to reach for perfection that when that view, that approach of where we go from where we're not okay to where finally we're all right, we're perfect, we're good enough when we somehow get trapped in that, that can be very painful so even this approach, this view of practice, is very helpful. It's very powerful. It can be difficult for us. It can have some tricky sides for us. Another perspective is this: all beings, that includes ourselves, are fundamentally pure and free already. They are our essence is purity and emptiness our nature is goodness and compassion the practice, we want to call it that is simply to reconnect with or to recognize that fact ignorance, greed and hatred seem to obstruct our true nature don't really abstract it but they seem to abstract it if we get a sense of this even to begin with we can relax yet somehow still something needs to be done or rather something needs to be seen I don't know if you get a sense of these two different views I find it very interesting to be aware of the fact that both of them use that can be helpful and yet they're ways of looking at the reality that is as it is that doesn't give itself so easily to description so now let's look at the tools the tools are a kind of effort or energy or whatever you want to call it to awaken to look into this present moment to see clearly the nature of things or to reconnect with our basic nature to understand this right kind of effort is very crucial It's not about doing something, getting or attaining something, or becoming something. It's about relaxing and awakening into this present moment. It's about coming to meet things exactly where they are, meet them the way they are. The breath body sensation, the moods, the thoughts, mind itself, consciousness itself. It's to meet things right here and now as they are, or to be them, perhaps they could say. I I like brown sugar, the way it moves. I don't know if you've ever watched It's sort of heaped into a pile. It has a very curious way of moving downward and settling, almost like every crystal is settling in its proper place, quite naturally. That could be one description of how we connect with our experience. We settle into our experience as we go through the day. Mindfully we welcome in this attitude whatever comes, whatever arises, whatever is experienced pleasant or painful, happy or sad we see and we feel it for what it is and when it's time for it to leave when it's its own time not when we decide it's enough it better go when it's on own time then we let it go we let it pass as it will and that's really all it's extraordinarily simple and we do this any time, whenever we remember in any situation the formal meditation, work, everyday activities All that's needed is that we do it right now. Right now. So that's quite simple too. We don't need to do it for 45 minutes. We come in and say 45 minutes after we do this. Or we get up and we think, God, I have to do this for a whole day or, you know, after we've done a few retreats we might realize I have to do this for all my life (laughs) and maybe there's more than one we only have to do it whenever we remember but quite fully and quite carefully that will create its own momentum, its own continuity that will strengthen the steadiness of mind and the concentration but it's not about waiting to steady something or to get somewhere. It's being with what is and looking and sensing and feeling how it is right in that moment. And that's all. So it's really quite simple. What can make it difficult, what probably will make it difficult, is exactly our clinging and our aversions and resistances, which are the cause of suffering, as we have seen. maybe as we learn how to work with it even with our clingings and with our aversions and resistances we can do the same we can just be with them as they are right at that moment we also don't have to get rid of them it's what's happening right now so again, we make it simple now here comes the part of the transformation of attitude into play when things are pleasant but are about to go away we need to let them go when experience is unpleasant, painful and doesn't want to go away at that time we need acceptance so along with mindfulness, with being present the inner attitudes of letting go and of acceptance the most essential, the most helpful. <coughs> Being very closely in touch with every moment's experience, we become highly aware of the fleeting, transparent and empty nature of all things, everything. And in that we see that holding on makes no sense. Each time we hold on, we sense how it, we create suffering right then and we let go. And we also become highly aware that things follow their own lawfulness. They come and go according to their own laws. And they're not in our control at all. So we see that struggling and resisting makes no sense. And we begin to allow, to accept things as they arise and as they're themselves and felt and Relaxing in a deeper way into our being, again then we'll see clearer, we'll understand suffering, and how to stop making ourselves suffer. And this time we understand much better that, as Thich Nhat Hanh puts it, practicing Buddhism is a clever way to enjoy life, and that happiness is available.